So welcome to um, week three of the Live the Life series that we're doing. So two weeks ago, DR spoke, he laid the foundations with the Gospel of Grace. And last week, Dom spoke about authentic leadership. If you haven't heard those, I'd encourage you to listen to those online, because they were great words. Today, we are continuing with the theme, and it's living the life in a difficult culture as we can see up on the screen. Living, live the life in a difficult culture. Culture is a fascinating thing to me. It's incredible how where you're born determines so much of your outlook on life. Uh, I was born in St Albans, so I have a very, by default, very Hertfordshire way of looking at things, I suppose. Um, however, my family are from Mauritius, Long way away. If we could have the next slide up, please, Amy. If you can see that, that's my mum and dad on their wedding day. So that was August the 15th, 1969, which, if my math serves me well, means that it's their golden anniversary this year. So I'd better not forget that date, <laughs> August the 15th. Uh, now, what they're taking part in there is a Tamil wedding ceremony. So quite different to an English wedding ceremony. Now, my first exposure to, I suppose, even though I was born and raised in England and in Hertfordshire, my domestic culture was Mauritian culture, which meant that the first foods I remember eating would have been curries. The first prayers that I would have been involved with were not Christian prayers at all. They would have been of Hindu origin. So I remember idol worship taking place in my family's houses. It still does. Many, many, many members of my family still do have idols, and they do have that very pagan ritualistic outlook on life because it's their culture. God, in his goodness, delivered my family from that very early on. I became a Christian when I was nine years old, so very early in my case. But it's always been a fascinating subject to me. I love the idea of how diverse our culture is. So we um, are going to be looking today at what it means to live the life in a difficult culture. <laughs> but first of all, let's think about what is culture? What's the definition of culture? because it can be a bit of an abstract term, unless we put some specifics on it. According to the Cambridge Dictionary, culture is the way of life of a particular people, especially as shown in their ordinary behavior and habits, their attitudes toward each other, and their moral and religious beliefs. Quite a good definition of what culture is. So then what is a difficult culture? The definition is it's an environment where there is opposition to your way of life, where you might be made to suffer or face persecution. During the worship, I was reflecting on this, and I was looking at this banner here, our culture. A difficult culture could also be well described as being a culture where our traits are lacking. So we have integrity, generosity, courage, honor, acceptance, and forgiveness. So any culture where those traits are absent I would suggest would be a good definition of what a difficult culture is. 
So what we're going to be looking at today is the continuation of 1 Thessalonians, where it's Paul's um, letter to the believers there. Now, a bit of a very, to set the scene like nowadays, uh, Thessalonica, it was the capital of Macedonia, a region in northern Greece. It's about 300 miles north of Athens. Today, I understand it is a very popular tourist destination with a million inhabitants, and it's very popular for street photography right here. Apparently, it's quite a picturesque place. So we're going to be looking at Paul's letter, and we are starting uh, chapter 2, verse 13, and we're going to read up to chapter 3, verse 13. So I'll just read that. And we also thank God continually because... When you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. For you, brothers, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own countrymen the same things those churches suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to all men. In their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. But brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul did, again and again. But Satan stopped us. For what is our hope, our joy? or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker, in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you, that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us, just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you, in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. (coughs) May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father, when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Lord, thank you for these words. As we look at what it means to live life for you in a difficult culture, I pray that we would be encouraged and inspired to respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So we're going to be looking at four points today. So we have point one, opposition from other beliefs. Point two, persecution is to be expected. Point three, mutual encouragement. And the final point, ultimate joy in the hope of Christ's return. So point one, opposition from other beliefs. Nowadays, it's not considered cool by many people to be a Christian. We live in a very polarised world, lots of different views and opinions being expressed. But many people are opposed to our way of life and our way of thinking and to the faith that we have. There are many legalistic beliefs, religions, who are adamantly opposed to the freedom and the grace that we live under. And it's a baffling thing when you think what we believe and what we live by, the freedom. We've been singing about where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We have such freedom to live in forgiveness and compassion and mercy and grace and all these wonderful things. You think, well, why, why doesn't everybody want a piece of that? Why, why do people reject that and hold on to beliefs which are opposed to that? We mentioned how the upbringing that my parents would have had in their Tamil belief system was very repressed. So many rituals, so many rules, so many regulations that they have to follow because of their upbringing. What is it that people struggle with when it comes to uh, Christianity? Because surely, isn't that what every, doesn't everybody want forgiveness? Doesn't everybody want love? Doesn't everybody want to feel compassion and valued? To know that they're loved and accepted as they are without having to do anything, that they're saved by grace. Why would you not want that? It's a fr the free gift of salvation. You just have to accept Jesus. Why would you not want that? It's a strange thing, isn't it? It doesn't really make sense when all you have to do is cry out to God and he will accept you. You don't have to do anything, and yet people would rather jump through hurdles and hoops to try and find acceptance rather than just accept Jesus. Why is that? In Ephesians 6, 12, Paul writes, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So it's not against flesh and blood. It's principalities and powers. It's the spiritual dimension which causes people to be opposed to Christianity, to our faith. An early memory of this for me was uh, when I lived in Belgium. As a teenager, my, uh, I lived in Belgium with, with my family. My dad had a, had a restaurant, a Greek restaurant, in downtown Brussels. And I remember, I, I would have been about 13 at the time, and I remember one day, it was a very hot afternoon, and we, um, during the opening times, we, in the afternoon, we would, the restaurant would be closed, so it would be open, it would be we'd have this, like, the siesta time, and the restaurant would be closed after lunch. So between lunch and the evening service, there'd be a couple of hours where the restaurant would be closed, but that day we were doing some cleaning in there, and it was a very hot afternoon. And I remember a guy came in, uh, like an, like an Arabic-looking guy, beard, very well-dressed, quite polite, very pleasant, and he came in, and he said, oh, can, he, can I have a glass of water? I'm really, really hot. 
and it was just me and my mother. And my mother said, yeah, of course, come in. We'll give, you, we'll give you a glass of water, give you some shade. He sat down, he was sweating, and he had a briefcase with him. And I'm not sure what his agenda was, because then he started saying, oh, where are you? He could see that we clearly we were not Belgian people by our appearance. Uh, where, are you, where are you from? And we, my mum's explained, well, you know, we're from, from Mauritius, but, you know, we lived in England, we, now we live in Belgium, blah, blah, blah. Oh, okay. And then he was very curious about to know what our, our belief was. What do, we, what do we believe in? And my mum said, well, we, we believe in God. And um, he says, oh, that's good, I believe in God. And so my mum said, well, that's great. Are you, are you a Christian? Said, no, no, no. He goes, I'm, I'm a Muslim. Oh, okay, fine, great. You know, and just having a look. But he was, he had, I noticed, though, and it, I'll always remember how his eyes were like inkwells. They were so dark. They say the eyes of the window to the soul, don't they? This guy's eyes was, had a piercing darkness in them. And we said, well, you know, we, we, believe, we believe in Jesus, my mum said. And he goes, Jesus? He goes, okay, that's good. Jesus is, is, is a good guy. Yeah, Jesus is good. My mum took it a step further. We believe Jesus is God. He's the saviour. He's the messiah. This guy absolutely lost it. There and then, he, he, he had the glass of water. He left it abandoned. He shouted, waved his arm. I thought he was going to, to knock something over or, or worse. And he just got up. Vi- it was a violent reaction. It was almost like we'd stabbed him with something. You know, it was the anger. And, we thought, and he, he stormed out. My mother and I looked at, looked at each other and we thought, what just happened there? And of course, what, people don't have a problem with the word God. But it's the word Jesus. It's the J word. Why do, why do people have a problem with the word, the name of Jesus? It's because it's got so much power in it. It's the name above all names. It's the truth. And that upsets so many people. It, it provokes something in them. And it's a spiritual thing. Something in their spirit is it's troubled by that. It is the name above all names. There's so much power in the name of Jesus. And... Um, Belgium at the time, uh, so I'm talking, this would have been in the late 80s, we saw lots of um, opposition to Christianity from certain areas of the community. Um, the, the whole concept of Islamic, Islamic extremism wasn't something that was just, wasn't talked about then. We never really heard about that, that phrase or, or that, those kind of issues. But looking back in certain areas of the community, you can see the origins of it for sure. We saw, we saw incidences... Um, not that I'm knocking those people. We had some very good friends in those communities, and they were lovely people. But there were elements where you could see some very, very radical views being, being developed, even back then. Um, so that's, that was an example in, in uh, Belgium. In Mauritius a few years ago, uh, I, was, I hired a car. So on holiday, and I was doing a coastal, a coastal drive, and... I parked, I parked the hire car up just, just for a moment, just to, just to stop, uh, make a phone call, I think it was. And there was a bus quite a few meters ahead of me, parked. I was in the car, and this bus reversed slowly towards the front of the car. And I was in the car, and I, thought, I can't believe this. This guy's not, he can't, can not even see me. It was too late for me to drive the car. I just beat the horn, beat the horn. And this guy, this bus just crushed the car, the hire car. And the driver jumped out of the bus, and, and he ran away. I thought, great, the car that I hired is all mangled. What do I do now? I thought, well, has anyone seen the driver? Or I need to report this. And gradually, locals came. This was in a village, and nobody wanted to help me. I thought, that's a bit strange. Nobody wants to give me any help. And 
very quickly, there were about 20 people, 20 guys came out, and I said, well, you know, can anyone tell me where the police station is? Where's that driver gone? Is there a phone number for the police? What can I do here? Oh, we don't know. We don't know. It's like, really? And then, then there was like this guy who came, and this, it was very clear, very quickly, that this, there was a guy in the village who employed all these people, and he owned the bus company. He, owned, he was the owner of this bus. He came, and as soon as he came, everyone was kind of siding with this guy, and this guy, um, he was a very staunch Hindu. It turned out he was, a, he was quite well known in the, in the local community there. And what he did, to, sh to show you the spiritual element of this, in, he actually was cursing me. He basically said, I'm going to get my Hindu, I'm going to get my gods onto you because I, this, this claim isn't going to go through anywhere. I was quite shocked. But then in that culture, the idea of somebody getting their gods to ruin your life, it's normal. I'm not knocking the Mauritian culture. There's just, just an element of it, you know, some extreme views there, which we don't really have in, the, in, this, in this culture here in, in the UK, where someone's going to get a god to try and interfere and ruin your life. I wasn't really bothered by that. I know who I am in Christ. I have my, my identity in Christ. And in Proverbs 26.2, it says that an undeserved curse does not come to rest. The claim was progressed. The next day, I went to Port Louis, the capital. I went to an insurance office, and I was praying about this. Oh, Lord, you know, I've done nothing wrong here, but I can't prove it. Even the police who I managed to contact said, oh, don't worry about it. You know, you, you just leave it. I'm like, I can't just leave it. You know, this is, I've got to get this sorted out and have, not have this on my conscience kind of thing, and also massive bill to pay as well for the car. Took one, I took one walk into the insurance office. They looked, the staff they took one look at me. They, obviously, they were convicted, and they said, he's innocent. Don't worry about it. They took one look at me, and it's like the Spirit of God had kind of convicted them of my innocence. An undeserved curse does not come to rest. So our God is greater than any... Whatever, whatever God somebody puts on you, it's meaningless. It's water for duck's back, quite frankly. I know, we know who our God is, and we have confidence and security in that. Um, so there is opposition from other beliefs, which leads on to point two. Persecution is to be expected... In chapter 3, verse 4 of this passage, Paul says, In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. Now, persecution, it's nothing new. And it's to be expected. How do we know it's to be expected? Because our Lord Jesus himself says so. Got some verses here that Jesus said about persecution. Matthew 5, 10 to 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Matthew 5, 44. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Luke 6, 22, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. John 15, 18 to 20, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as, as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And the last one I've got here is John 16, 33. 
I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So persecution is nothing new, and it's to be expected. So then, knowing this, what is our response as Christians? What are we to do knowing that we're going to face persecution? It's inevitable. Jesus said so. I'm sure many of us here have faced persecution in some form or another. So what do we do? Do we hide away? Do we cower away? Because we know it's coming at some point. No. Matthew 5 says that we are to be called salt and light. Wherever we are, we are salt and light. What does salt do? It preserves, gives flavour, light shows the way. We are to be light in the darkness. But it's hard to do, isn't it? In a culture where you're facing opposition, how do you, how do you behave as salt and light, as we're called to do? In 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says, The God of this age has blinded the mind of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We are hard-pressed on every side, but crushed, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not destroyed. Persecuted, but not destroyed. You know, persecution, it isn't always obvious. My, My first understanding of that word was when I was a kid I, I, wa- I still love to watch old films I love old films, the old classic films I love the golden age of Hollywood where people love Gladiator I say no, no, Ben-Hur, that's what you want to watch the old Charlton Heston you know. and persecution my first understanding of that word was from the film Quo Vadis with Peter Ustinov Deborah Kirk, old film probably Younger members here might not even know what I'm talking about, but it's a cool film. And I remember when I was a kid watching this, quite a disturbing scene towards the end of the film where the emperor had got the Christians and he put them into like a coliseum and he was going to get them to be tortured, put to death by lions. Scary thing. I thought, whoa, how could that be? Is that real? And then years later I found out, actually, yeah, it was real. That stuff did happen. Wow. And how did Christ react when he was being persecuted? In 1 Peter 2, the example that Jesus set is this. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Wow. I found that in my experience, when there's been difficult times and I've faced forms of persecution, the way that I have found strength to cope with it is by surrendering to God. We hear that a lot, don't we? Surrender to God. Let go, let God. But what does that mean, really? How do we do that? Does it mean you just sit down and say, okay, yeah, God will, God will sort this out, God will take over? Actually, no. Surrender is actually not a passive thing. It's a very active thing. When you're facing difficulties and trials and unfairness and people are mistreating you, people are perhaps excluding you from certain things, people are maybe speaking to you in a way which is sarcastic, aggressive at times, 
and you feel it, and there's nothing you can do about it, and it's getting worse and worse. Surrender in those moments is a very active thing. It's a very powerful thing. But what does it mean to, what does it mean to surrender? It means to humble yourself before the word of God. It means to stand on the scripture. It means to actively believe in what God says about you and who you are and, 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 you, and the hope you have in Christ. It means to pray. It means to praise, even when you don't feel like it. Oh God, I feel abandoned. I feel let down. Things are going wrong for me. Everyone's against me. Everyone's opposed to, to, to me. And they know that I believe in you and they are shunning me. They are mistreating me. Do you know what? I, um, I found that praising God was the most powerful weapon I had, in, certainly in the workplace. There was a season where every day I would dread going to work because I, there had been political restructures going on and I was the only person who was left kind of on the wrong end of that. And I really felt it. And it was, we have the same, I mean, it, made, it made my blood boil. Well, actually, in my case, it did. It gave me high blood pressure and I had to take medication for it, which I still have to take even now because I was so um, upset by what, the way I was being treated. And I remember getting into my car and driving to work um, and singing praise songs every day. Every day. Because I knew that if I didn't lean on God entirely, I wouldn't make it through that day because I knew I would just be upset from the day I walk in, from the moment I walk into the office to the moment I leave, I would just be just so heavy-hearted and, and sad. And that wasn't going to be good for, for anybody, at least of all myself. So praising really got me through to the point where it became a, ha a habit. And actually, I look back now, I, th I think, thank God that was a habit. Thank God that became something like, like muscle memory. It became something that I love to do, and I just do it instinctively all the time, just praising, praising, praising. Whereas before, I wouldn't have praised quite so often. So it's an example of where facing a form of persecution, nothing like, nothing like being thrown to alliance or anything, but it, was a, but it was still something that was affecting my daily life, actually trained me to, to rely on God more, to praise him more, to seek him more, because I had no choice but to seek him. I'd have to, I'd have to throw myself on my knees getting home from work and pray and just ask God for strength for the following day. To the point where God actually caused major transformation, actually, after that. I was so, my blood was boiling so badly, I actually left the job and I went to China, across, across the world, to, go, to get away from that. It's part of the reason I went, I went to China, was to get away from that part of the reason. And returning from China, because for those of, you, those of you who don't know, I went to China for a year and I came back in August. I didn't want to go back to the same work environment. I thought, I can't, I was, it was such a bad place for me, I don't want to go back there. And I had no choice in the end but to go back there. And I thought, oh Lord, I'm going to go back to that again. So I started praising God again and asking God just to change me. Just change my attitude. Allow me to be grateful for what, for, for this, my circumstance, my position. Don't let me grumble about it. Let me give thanks. Let me give you praise and glory for it. And God just changed it. He's just absolutely changed everything. I've got the same office, the same colleagues, the same, everything's the same. Even my old desk is the same, but everything's different. I go in, I actually look forward to going into the office. I actually get on with everyone. Everyone gets on, and everyone's just overly supportive now. It, now I have a suggestion. Yeah, they listen to it now. They, they act on it. Whereas before I was being, I think, what, what's changed? 
I'm, I'm, everything's the same. But God, I think through seeking God that much, having to seek God to get through, God has actually transformed things without me even realizing it. But, but I think, wow, I look back on it and I think, wow, God, thank you so much. Having gone through that season of trial and just seeking you and leaning on you to get through it, you have changed things. So I give God glory for that. He's absolutely transformed things. So surrender is a very um, active thing, not a passive thing. And how timely that Gary and Hiromi are here today, speaking of China. Um, if, if we could um, go to the next slide, please. This was um, my, one of my classrooms in China. And you can see on the, on the wall there, ask, seek, knock. Ask and it will be given, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened, from Matthew 7. Now, in my contract of teaching, because I was, I was teaching high school kids in China, it said very clearly in the contract of employment that I'm not to talk about religion. And they're very strict there. As we've heard, it's very cutthroat. They'll, they'll fire you on, on the drop of a hat if you, if you don't um, adhere to the rules. In my first week, I saw that, and I had 25 kids. They were 16, 16-year-olds 16 in the classroom. I asked them, can anyone here tell me where those words come from? Or what, who said them? No one knew. No one, had, no one had a clue who said those words. And their living English was pretty good, but these, these kids. And I, I just felt really convicted. I said, oh, Lord, while I'm here, at some point, would you, would you show me a way of imparting, some, imparting your truth to these kids? They obviously don't know who you are. This is on their wall. They had, they had no concept of, 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 the, of the Bible or anything. And I wasn't in the place where I could teach them about this stuff, because I'd, I'd, I'd get in trouble for doing that. And gradually, as the, as the terms went on and the weeks flew by, we, I got to know the kids really well. They got, we, I just absolutely loved being in the classroom with them. And gradually, God was giving me ways of subtly introducing him to them. So I would do lessons on friendship, on forgiveness, on faith, and greed, and various things that would challenge them and get them to think and we would have little English corners, and I would, we would, and it was almost like having a mini cell group with these kids, where they were opening up about their lives. And I was able to kind of, if not actually, I wanted to just lay hands and pray with these kids, but obviously you couldn't even remotely consider that. So from a distance, I would kind of, you know, just try and pray for them, you know. But these kids were actually being changed by what they were hearing about some of the values I was, I was take, taking from scripture. And the best bit of feedback I had from a couple of the kids where they chased me down the, outside um, the classroom one day and they said, Darren, Darren, you're not, just, you're not just helping us with our English. I said, well, yeah, what is it, what is it? And they said, you're helping us with, and they got their dictionary and they were flicking through and they said, amorality, you're helping us with amorality. I said, well, praise God, some of it's sinking in, you know. And so I, um, it was a real privilege to be able to, to spend that time with them. Um, and I remember on... The lesson on forgiveness that I did, which was about three weeks before the end of term, it was the, it was the most openly Christian lesson that I was doing because I was um, going to put a, an animation with some scripture on it and a song with Christian lyrics on it as well. And as I prepared that lesson, the, I remember 
I had a Chinese member of staff coming in, sitting at the back of the classroom to observe that lesson. And I thought, oh, great. I hardly ever got observed. And the one time I'm really going to put the overtly Christian stuff in, I have a Chinese member of staff coming in. And I thought, OK. And they, they creep in and they sit in the back and they don't really tell you anything. You never really get any feedback from them. But this lady came in and I said, OK, Lord, what do I do? I've got this lesson prepared. And I said, you know what, Lord? If they, if they sack me now, if they deport me now, I've had a good run. I've got three weeks left of my, of my contract. I'm just going to do it. I'm not going to change it. So I did the lesson. The, ki the kids enjoyed it. And it, was, it, all went it all went well. And at the end of the lesson, the kids had all, had all left the classroom. And this, this Chinese member of staff came and saw me. She says, Darren. I said, yeah. She says, can I have a word? I thought, OK, I'm in real trouble here. She said, that's, that animation you played, can I have a copy of it? I really like it. I said, yeah, of course you can. And that song you played, I really like it. Can I have a copy of that as well? I said, yeah, of course you can. And she said, where did you get those from? She's asking me. And I said, I didn't want to say YouTube, because YouTube's blocked there. And I was living in school accommodation. I didn't want to say that I had a VPN to get around it. I, just <laughs> said, I, said, I said, I got it from the internet. That's all I said. And it occurs to me, I never got to have that conversation with her, but it occurs to me that she may have been a Christian, um, but we could never have that conversation because if, they, if the school found out she was a Christian, she could lose her job. So it's, it's not, we could never have that open discussion. So um, she was, in a way, I mean, as, as we've heard from Gary, persecution is a very real thing in China, we, um, which brings on to uh, point three, mutual encouragement. Now, Paul mentions um, that earlier in this uh, passage that he had suffered and had been insulted in Philippi. He was at a low point and was afraid that the Christians in Thessalonica had lost their way. In chapter 3, 5, he says, I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. Now, Paul... He suffered in Philippi. You can read about that in, in Acts um, 16, where he'd been imprisoned and flogged and so forth. And he was in a low point when he wrote this letter to the Thessalonians. How do you think he would have felt if he had known that the believers there had lost their way? He was afraid that um, the tempter would have tempted them. When he hears from Timothy, they actually know they're steadfast. They are actually thriving He's elated. How does he feel? He's, he says, um, he's greatly, he goes, therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. So this, the faith of the, of the Thessalonians was a great encouragement to Paul. We encourage each other by our faith. When we see one another here going through difficult times, but we see that actually we're not giving up. We are trusting God more and we're growing because of that, it's an encouragement to us. Certainly I was encouraged in China when I went to see my dentist and I found out he was a Christian and I couldn't see any evidence of Christianity in the city that I was living in. I said to him, tell me, are there many, are there many Christians in this city? And he said, oh yes, there are many of us, we're everywhere, many, many of us. They meet in underground churches. I was so encouraged by that, I couldn't see any evidence of it. It was like an invisible thing. But knowing that they were there was a source of great comfort to me at that time. I knew that I was being surrounded by Christians. I couldn't actually identify them, but they were, there they were, Chinese Christians. 
Paul says, for now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. And it says in, in chapter 3, verse 9, Paul has joy because of this. So we, let's not underestimate the impact that we can have on, some, on, a, on a, another Christian by our behaviour. We are ambassadors for our faith, even to each other in, in here, in this room. So let's not forget that. And um, the final point, really, that we've got is ultimate joy, the hope of Christ's return. So... In chapter 3.13, Paul says, May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. You know, our treasure is in heaven, says in Matthew 6. So, and Christ is coming. We're going to hear more about the return of Christ further in the series that we're doing in this Live the Life series. Um, we should cultivate an eternal perspective. This life is short. This life is short, but eternity is forever. The way I would describe going through a temporary trial and persecution in, in this life, which is short, and comparing it to the eternal perspective is, let's say you're going to the dentist. If a child or any, any one of us is going to a dentist, they don't like it. No, I'm not going to the dentist. It's going to hurt. But hopefully as we grow in age and, and wisdom, hopefully, we may never like going to the dentist, but we know it's for our good. We go to the dentist. The dentist is going to make... We need to go to the dentist. It's inevitable. Anyone who has teeth is going to go to the dentist. Yeah, it's inevitable. Anyone who's a Christian is going to be persecuted at some point. It's inevitable. But what's our, what's our response to these trials? What's our response to going to the dentist? Do we go knowing it's good for us? Yeah, it's good for us to go to the dentist. We need to do it. If we want to eat, eat healthily and live well, we need to go and get our teeth looked at. We need to have that, those fillings or those injections or whatever, those painful times. We need to go through them. Similarly, with, Christ, with our faith, we need to understand that those persecutions are a bit like going to the dentist. Yeah, it's going to hurt, but it's for our long-term good. At the beginning of James, it says, perseverance must finish its work so that we will be mature and complete, not lacking anything. It helps us to develop perseverance. It's never easy. Of course it isn't, but we're not alone. I'm going to finish with some verses which are going to remind us of who we are in Christ, confirming our identity and security. We're talking about culture. I know it's not a very British cultural thing to do, but if I read these, if you're in agreement, just say amen with these. And then, we'll, and then we're just going to close with these. So, 1 Peter 2.9, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Amen. amen. 1 John 3, 1, 2. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Amen. Amen. Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon that is formed against you will prosper, and every tongue that accuses you in judgment you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. Amen. Jeremiah 29. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Amen. And the, and the final one, a bit of Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Amen.
Thank you.